at Mom Life presented by Kids Dentistry, welcoming new smiles at Kids Dentistry. With safety as their top priority and easy online scheduling for new patients, Kids Dentistry is where healthy smiles grow. Visit kidsdentistry.com. That's dentistry spelled D-E-N-T-I-S-T-R-E-E. Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and today I'm joined by Megan Van Hess. Now, Megan, I first discovered who you were, and I would say tracked you down via Instagram, which is strangely the way I tracked on so many of my guests, because I see my other friends posting about people. And when I see my friends posting about people, I want to know who they are. So in this case, you are Rainbow Benz. So what does Rainbow Benz? And when I say Benz, I mean B-I-N-S. Yes. So um, thank you for having me. Um, Rainbow Bins is my my company. I started myself. Um, it's Sensory Bin Kits. So um, Sensory Bins, um, I was a teacher before I started this. So um, Sensory Bins are something I use in my classroom often. They're great learning resources. Um, they're great for kids that might have some special needs. Um, they're a great way to... Um, kids to get their hands dirty, get around, develop cognitive skills. They're used for fine motor building. They're just endless, endless things that they can be used for. And describe some of the types of rainbow bins, because I know you said these are good in the classrooms, but the way you do it, it is seriously one of the cutest things I have ever seen. So I tried to do them by theme. Um, and I have my more popular themes, but I have a um, rainbow bin, which is rainbow colors. I have a magnetic wand that goes with it with rainbow chips. Um, and that is my bestseller. That, that is something that it just flies off the shelves. I can't hardly keep it in stock, but I also have, um, a galaxy bin, which is outer space, bumblebee, birthday, um, mermaid, pirate, um, a garden, all sorts of options. Um, a coffee house one um, with donuts. That's a popular one too. So just a lot of different things. So Megan, when you say things are flying off the shelves, is this probably mostly can people, are people ordering through Instagram? Is that where you built your business? Or I, I feel like this is an Etsy. Yeah. So um, both. I have um, a pretty good solid Louisville following. Um, so some people will order through Instagram. They'll send me a message and then I'll either meet them or they'll do porch pickup. Um, or I also sell on Etsy. Um, but when the rainbow at Christmas, the rainbow bit, the rainbow kit, um, was just, it was my main seller. Um, that was what I was selling the majority of the time. And that's still what I sell the majority of the time. I love how social media has changed the game through Instagram. For instance, there's a local bakery that I found that makes bagels and I, you literally just order through Instagram and they do it out of their house. And it is so cool how it's expanded the realm of what businesses can be mm -hmm. and that footprint. I mean, and this is case in point, like I said, I connected through you because I saw multiple friends of mine posting about your sensory bins. And I was like, that is, that is the cutest thing. Where is this lady? Is she local? And I actually reached out to some of my friends. I was like, can you tell me more? <laughs> um, <laughs> So not to be creepy, but I was just like, um, is she local? If she's not local, that's fine too. So let's rewind a little bit to figure out how you started basically your own business. So where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Cookville, Tennessee. Um, it's, it was, it's much bigger now, but it was a very, very small town, pretty much just a stop off the interstate between Knoxville and Nashville. Um, and that's when I lived there, there wasn't even a Walmart. Um, so it was a very small town, and I, I grew up on my grandfather's farm. 
Um, it was his, he inherited the farm from his father. Um, and I actually, our, the street name was Jim Smith Road and my maiden name was Smith. And pretty much all of my family on my dad's side lived on that street. So it was just a bunch of farmland that his brothers and sisters had built houses on and he had too. And we just all lived on the same street. So I had lots of cousins just across the street from me. So, um, it was an interesting way to grow up. I, you know, for me, it was normal, but, um, but also really special because I had endless playmates, um, when I, when I lived there. Was it the type of town where like everybody knew everybody and they probably knew you were related to so-and-so and this and that? Yes. Yes. And my parents grew up there, um, and went to school there. And, um, so yes, definitely. Yes. Growing up, I my we moved away from Cleveland when I was little, but my dad's one of eight kids, so I have like well over thirty cousins up in Cleveland. But growing up, I always thought it was bizarre because people would be like, "Oh, I like honked at my cousin on the side of the road," or my, "I picked up grandma for dinner last night," and I'm I didn't I never had my family around, which is funny because now I live in a multi generational home where my parents are here. Um, my grandfather was living with us for the last twenty years, and so now we are surrounded by family because I want my kids to be able to be around all of their family. So I do think, and it's where I grew up. So, which is cool because I like at the kids school, for instance, I know the parents, I still know some of the teachers and I do like more of that small town lifestyle. Yes. When I, I just was there last weekend and which by the way, those pictures were beautiful. (laughs) I I know there it's beautiful there. I mean, I just don't see a lot of that untouched farmland much anymore. And every time I go there, I just think, I would love for my kids to grow up here. Um, but it's not the same small town that it was. It's grown a lot. And we don't used to, when we would go back and visit right after we first moved to Louisville, we couldn't go anywhere without somebody stopping my parents and being like, hey, hey. And they would ask me, do you know me? Do you recognize me? And I would I would have no clue. But now we go and it's, it's just, it's a college town. The college has grown. And so... Um, it's just, it's boomed lately and we don't have much of that anymore. But I, if I was to move back, it would be to be on that beautiful farmland that I grew up on because it's just, it was, I had a wonderful childhood. Wonderful. So when did you eventually leave that area? Um, so when I was in, and I've, you know, something for later, I, I was driving today and I heard you on the radio talking about being a Harry Potter nerd. <laughs> and and I just you just happened to pop on and I was like oh my gosh me too <laughs> um but I remember my last year in fifth grade what made me think of that was um the scholastics lady came to love the scholastic ladies and she was talking to us about Harry Potter and that's one of the last memories I have in Tennessee is I pre-ordered my first Harry Potter book um but after fifth grade I moved to Louisville and I started sixth grade at Crosby um, and my dad moved here um, to go to Southern Seminary. He's a therapist. Oh, Southern Seminary is great. So mm-hmm. it's funny you bring up like Harry Potter because I saw, I was talking about this big Harry Potter flagship store opening in New York City. And it almost reminds me of like Harry Potter world, like the shopping mm-hmm. side of it all in one place. And I love New York City anyway. But I remember I was in seventh grade and it, I was sitting in geography class and there was like 
they had a, a reading initiative going on and I love to read anyway. And this time this was right after the books first came out. And I was like, this is stupid. I don't, I don't like all this magical stuff, but I had nothing else to do. And the geography teacher was like, you have to go read a book X amount of time in every class during the day. And I picked up Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And I remember sitting down with that book. And after even only reading it for 15 minutes, I was like, oh no, this is something special. And I need you to know I'm such a geek that I just got goosebumps thinking back to that moment. Um, and I was literally in seventh grade and now I'm in my thirties and I can still remember at the time, the first three books were out and I caught back up as fast as possible. But then, I mean, I was at the midnight releases for the next four books or three mm-hmm. books, no, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Uh, four. And still one of my absolute favorite reading experiences ever were those books. So that's, yeah. I, I've been rereading them with my 11 year old son. Um, uh, and we've been buying those, uh, illustrated ones too. Um, and I still have all of my books with their covers on them. They stay in a closet. They don't stay with the rest of the books. Um, but it's, it, I grew up with it. It started in fifth grade and the last book came out when I graduated high school and I've only told a few people this, but I have not watched the final movies because at the time I felt like my childhood was ending. And so I decided recently, I was like, we're going to read through all of these books with my son, my 11 year old Jude. And I was like, and I'm going to finally watch the last two movies because it's time. It's time that I get over it and move on. So we're on the sixth book right now. So we're close. We're, we're really close. to. You still haven't watched them. I still haven't. And my friend, Ashley, I talked to her about it and she totally, she totally agreed. I was like, I don't know anybody else that has, now she's watched them, but I haven't, I haven't seen them yet. And I need to, I need I, to. I, through work, um, when the seventh book came out, I actually hosted the Potter Palooza for the seventh book release at midnight, actually on four street live when it used to have the big borders bookstore down there. And I was dressed up like Hermione, of course, had a big costume contest. And I remember like staying up. I think I finished the last book within a matter of two to three days, which basically means I didn't stop reading for most of those Mm days other than to sleep, but I wasn't even sleeping much. Um, I remember clutching that book. So like beyond sad that it was over. But then I also remember going to the movie premieres for those movies and they do them justice. Like, I know you cannot fit a 737 page book into a mm-hmm. one movie, but I mean, we're totally have gone off on a Harry Potter tangent. And I, <laughs> and I love that you're now going through this with your kids. Like my kids know I'm a Harry Potter fan, for instance, and I have little like Harry Potter ones on my shelf. I'm actually staring at all my Harry Potter books, which by the way, some of them are my originals from back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so they know, I mean, they're two, my oldest son's only seven. So, I mean, they're too little to fully grasp the gravity of Harry Potter, but right. I mean, my husband and I can rewatch those movies all day, any day. But sometimes I'm like, I can't watch Deathly Hallows part two because I can't always emotionally get that dark when it's just like a Saturday afternoon. Um, I started but- reading them with Jude when he was probably eight, but we only read the first two books because once you get to three with the Dementors, it is. Oh, yeah. Book. So, um, but we, my husband is not, in, he's not read any of the books and the only movies he's seen are the ones that I've made him watch. But he took me to Harry Potter world um, on our, on our honeymoon. And um, we, I made him dress up <laughs> and he was a real champ. So, um, I, what, what house are you in? I am a Gryffindor. Okay. I'm in Hufflepuff. I am a, I am a true Gryffindor 
through and through. So, I mean, I do, I, I, I have it even in my bio on the radio station website. Like it's immediate, like coffee lover, Harry Potter nerd, obviously <laughs> mom of three and a radio lover. But I mean, those are in musicals. I also love musicals. My husband also has not read any of the books, but he will watch the movies with me all day. He also took me to Harry Potter world for the first time, but prior to us having kids. So, all right. So you, <laughs> your last childhood memory in Tennessee before you moved to Louisville was, of course, Harry Potter, which I love. So we'll zoom forward just a little bit more. So your your dad went to the seminary school mm-hmm. or no. And so then how did you like Louisville after being in Tennessee for so long? Um, at first, it was extreme culture shock. Um, and I, I didn't even know what Old Navy was. Oh, um, we had just gotten a Walmart. <laughs> before we moved here. So um, even though we had been to Knoxville and Nashville, like that was, you know, once or twice a year kind of a thing. So, I mean, it was, it was just, it was kind of a culture shock. We, from a very small elementary school to the huge Crosby, I mean, um, it was intimidating, but looking back on it, it's, it's the best thing that could have happened to me. <laughs> um, so I, I love it here. Um, I don't want to live anywhere else. I think it's just the perfect blend of like a bigger city, but with still that Southern charm. Um, And I I love the food. I love the people. I love how diverse it is. I love the diversity for my children. Um, It's just a wonderful city. I mean, I grew up in Southern Indiana. And so I too was like, I only went to the big malls in Louisville, if I needed to go to old Navy and Aeropostale and American Eagle. And I remember when those things became really big. Cause I always had to go to Louisville to go to those stores when I got to the age of like caring about labels. Um, and so I totally understand that feeling, but it was funny when I went to college in a much smaller town than this area, they called me the city girl. And I didn't realize growing up here that we, it was such a, a big city feel, but it was small. And I didn't realize how lucky we were because I always was one of the ones that was like, I'm always going to move away. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. But then when I left, I all of a sudden realized, oh, wait, we have a lot to do. We have a lot of fun places to eat and visit and go. Even if you like a cup of coffee, think about all the amazing places you can just have a go, go have a cup of coffee here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something so small, but the culture here in that way is very rich. Well, and we will, my husband and I often will rent an Airbnb on Bardstown Road. We live on Westport Road in uh, near Hurstbourne. Um, and we'll rent an Airbnb on Bardstown Road for the weekend. And that's like a totally different universe. Wonderful food, tons of fun things to do or walk around. And it's like we've gone on vacation just 15, 20 minutes from our house. So um, I love Louisville. It's a, it's a fantastic city. So you moved here. Now, did you stay here for college? For part of it, I did. Um, I was into early childhood education. I started working at my church. I went to Westport Row Baptist Church growing up, and I go, I'm going there now, too. Um, and I there was a daycare there at the time, and um, I started working there when I was 15. I would help the lead teachers, like, prepare crafts or, you know, at, now you can't work <laughs> – that young in a childcare center, but then you could as an, like an assistant. And so that's where I started. And, um, I got a full scholarship, um, for early childhood education. And I, um, it was through JCTC, which used to have a wonderful early childhood education department. 
and you went there for two years and then you would graduate from U of L. So oh, I started, love that. Yes. So, um, it meant no debt for me for school. And so, um, <laughs> yes, that, I know that. So that's where I started. Um, then I, I met my first husband and I ended up moving to Tennessee to be closer to him. And I decided to switch my major, which was a horrible mistake. <laughs> but um, I thought, well, I can't do early childhood education forever being 1920. And I switched and I ended up going to a private Bible college, private Christian college um, for biblical counseling with a focus on eating disorders. Oh, wow. So um, that's that's where I ended up. I'm not using that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back with early childhood education, but I may still go back to school and finish that degree now that I know that that's something that I'll be doing in some capacity. Well, it's funny because a lot of times, like how long have we been asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And then sometimes you start to doubt that gut you've had since you were young. Mm -hmm. And, but really I've learned more and more that no, you may have known since you were that little, because I mean, I used to say, I used to practice fake Academy Award speeches when I was little in the mirror. Um, and I mean, I, back to even sixth grade, I, I, I remember I wrote a paper called when you wish upon a star and it was like about someday being famous or being in the media. And it's super weird. Um, I found something when I was a senior in high school, I was in theater and at our thespian banquet, mm -hmm. it had like written down what you wanted to do and what was your 10 year plan. And the, what I had written down was a almost exact thing of what I ended up doing. Like, I want to be married by the time I was 24. I was, I want to start having kids by the time I was 26. I did. And I didn't, I didn't even remember writing this down. And I was like, this is weird. That is crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I have, my mom even was a preschool teacher. Um, and she isn't now she is also in mental health. She works at the Brook hospital, but, um, I, I just thought like, I would look at other teachers and, you know, they've been teaching for 20, 25 years. And I was like, that's boring. I don't want to be a teacher for 25 years, but then, you know, as a teacher, things change every year. Every year is different. Um, and every year has its different challenges. And that's something I didn't really realize um, back then. But, you know, there's, I could still go back to school and finish that degree if I wanted to. And I might, I might in the future. You know, I'm starting to think more and more. I started working full-time in radio by the time I was uh, 19, just before I turned 20. And um I finished my degree in four years, but I always wanted to go back and get my master's. And I was always like, well, now I'm working full-time and working nights. Well, all the master's programs at that time were all a night. Well, then I started having kids and I'm like, well, now I don't have time. But like, I keep thinking more and more, I want to go back and get my master's. This is something I've always wanted. So I say, you do you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, there's no wrong time. I don't think either. Um, you know, now, I, I'm, I'm 31, about to be 32. and that there's no wrong time to go back or to start if you don't have one and you correct go in your thirties then go. So you and I are only about two years apart. So you said you went to Tennessee because that's, was your husband from there? Yes. Um, my ex-husband was ex-husband. Yes. From there. Um, he was from there and I had been thinking, I really wanted to move away from my parents too. Not that I didn't love them, but I was ready to kind of, branch out on my own. Um, so I was already thinking about moving there. So I moved back to Cookville, my 
my hometown and got my first apartment and um, enrolled in my the the Christian college that I went to. And um, he lived in Murfreesboro, which is just outside of Nashville. So we didn't live in the same town, but we were within like an hour and a half of each other. Uh, gotcha. So just to fast forward a little bit, if you, you do not have to fully answer this question, you said first husband, how long were you guys married? We were married six, six or seven years, six years. We got married right when I turned 20. Okay. Um, I don't think I've ever actually had this opportunity to ask someone like this. And again, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I mean, ultimately, how did, when did you know that it was time to move on? I, well, we had two sons together, Jude, who is now 11 and Canaan, who's seven. Um, and there were some things that happened that, that led to this decision, but ultimately we were just very young when we got married. Um, We, we were both unhappy. Um, and there were some events that transpired that kind of pushed me to this point. Um, but ultimately it was, it was a mutual decision. It was just time. It was time to move on. And, um, it just events happened to where it would made it possible to, for me to be able to stand on my own. It was very difficult because I had been a stay at home mom. Most of our marriage, he was a United Methodist youth pastor and we moved around a lot and he worked kind of odd hours and, um, there was just not child care for that situation. Um, and child care is also very expensive for yes. kids. Yes. So, um, I ended up staying at home and, um, right a year before our divorce, we, I had gotten a, a job, my first job in a while. Um, and he worked at a church that had a preschool and we got a significant discount because he worked there. And so it allowed me to be able to work, which I was wanting to do. It was very good for my mental health to be able to work and leave the house. You know, um, that's, that's a big part for me too. And that I've never been able to stay at home because I needed to work. Um, but for me, it, it's a mental health thing. I, I, I personally, I need my brain stimulated that way to make me overall a happier person, I guess yes. is the, the way I could describe it. Mm-hmm. I've got to, I've got to do something. I've got to be creative in some way in order to function, to let that out. And some, when I was a stay at home mom, it was crafts and activities and, but that only went so far for me and it was time for me to, um, to do something else. So I worked at a church as their, um, pretty much their secretary, but also I helped with event coordinating. So I was able to, and I only, I worked four hours a day and I was able to still pick up my kids from school and be home, but it gave me a chance to kind of break free of being home all the time. Um, you remind me of what my mom did when I was in, I was one of three kids and we were all within four years. So it was all super close. So she stayed at home with us. But then once I went to kindergarten because they couldn't afford childcare, she started working part-time at the school. And so obviously she was there during school hours and then she was there and drove us home. And that's how she started going back to when she was a stay at home mom. And then after having us and she was in the school system with us. So that's, it's a, it's a very noble tr- like transition. And I feel like it's an easier one. So you didn't have to like jump fully back in yet. <laughs> right. Right. And it's, I still wanted because my husband at the time still was working full time and some days his job was very demanding. It still allowed me to be 
there to go to their school things, to pick them up, to be home when they needed to do homework and all of those things. So, um, and when we were living there, I was away from my family and we were away from his family. So there was no one else to pick up the pieces that we were leaving behind. So, um, and we couldn't afford like a nanny or any of that. So um, it was the perfect situation. Um, but we ended up, when we ended up getting our divorce, I ended up moving back to Louisville to be back with my, closer to my parents because I needed them. I needed someone else there to, to help me manage all of this. So um, Louisville is home, even though I grew up in Tennessee. I mean, sometimes I, a lot of time, I know your family is obviously still in Tennessee, but having your parents, having that support, especially after being a stay at home mom and going through a divorce, that's a hundred percent where I would race back to if I was in that situation. So when you moved back to Louisville, how long was it until you found your husband? Well, um, he and I went to school together. So Crosby and Eastern, we went to school together. Um, my very first boyfriend was his best friend. So we had known each other for a long time. Um, but we knew who each other was anyway, but we became really close at the end of high school and in college, we were, we were pretty close and we had a pretty tight group of friends. So when I moved back here, he actually had just moved back to Louisville too from Bowling Green. Um, and so we just started, I started hanging out with my best friend who lives here and she's also really good friends with Grant. And it was just kind of natural that the, that circle of friends that were, that was here, we just kind of, they all kind of circled me and loved on me and made sure that I was taken care of and that they were there. And, um, I moved back in May and by the next May, he had asked me, I think that's for the right timing. He had asked me to go to a wedding, um, for a friend of his. So we just kind of, it kind of, it just happened and he's amazing. He's a saint he's the, he's the best. And so, um, it's things really do end up working out. Um, at least in, in that, at least for me in that aspect, you know, I think it's always so interesting how those things end up working out. And it's obviously when people are talking about typically when they found their love, because I feel like you don't have to try. Um, it, it comes naturally, in all of the games or issues that may have been in past relationships, it's like, how did I not know, realize sooner that maybe I should have done something? But then sometimes I do feel like you have to experience the bad to appreciate the good, to understand either who you are or what you want or what you're looking for in a husband, a father, et cetera, a stepfather. So, I mean, it. I'm so happy to hear that. And I would assume he knew you, you had two sons at the time yeah. and he just jumped right in. He, not, not initially, he, he did after a while, but initially he had told me, you know, I need to think about this. I've got it. And he's very much, he's very introverted. He processes everything inward. And he told me, he was like, I've really got to think about this and decide if this is something that I can do. So, um, he didn't come around to my kids for a while. Um, and that was a very hard line for me just being like, I don't want men coming in and out of their lives. Um, but once we started to get more serious, he just 
he did jump right in. Um, and they're not always the easiest kids. I guess you could say that about any kids, but um, it's especially for a step parent to who doesn't have kids, but he started coaching their baseball and he was going to eat lunch with them at school when I couldn't. And he was going to their school parties. And it's just, he is just a godsend to our family. I mean, and they love him. My seven-year-old won't know a time without him. Um, so it's, he's just, he is wonderful. I can't say enough good things. It's so sappy, but, um, he really is. He's, he's wonderful. Now, when you and I were talking, you now have a a third child. So is that's with you and Grant, correct? Yes. Yes. Now you said two of your three kids ended up having NICU stays when they were born, correct? Yes. Um, Jude, I had him very young, um, pretty much a honeymoon baby. Um, and I pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, but he just was not coming out. Um, and he kind of got stuck. So they rushed me to an emergency C-section. Um, so he was born by C-section, but he had no complications. Um, my seven-year-old, uh, I went into labor at 36 weeks with him, um, naturally. And because because of that um, last C-section, I I really wanted to V-back, but I couldn't find a doctor that would let me. So um, I decided to just go forward with a, another C-section. Um, and I'm kind of glad I did because when we got in there, um, he was already very early, um, but they couldn't get him out. For some reason, his like arm and opposite leg were up. Anyway, he got trapped in there and they had to cut me, do an inverted T-section, which is they cut you across normally, but they also cut you up What um, to get the baby out faster. Um, I think his stats were dropping. He was born blue. He wasn't breathing. Um, it was very scary. It was very scary. Um, and he did have to stay in the NICU. His, they said that his first breath was of amniotic fluid. And so it just completely saturated his lungs. Um, so he had to have assistance breathing. Um, but he only was in the NICU for about a week. Um, he wasn't, it wasn't as serious as gray. Um, my one-year-old, he had a much more serious NICU stay. Um, he, I, I had to deliver early because of the inverted T-sections. You, you can't have contractions or your uterus could rupture. Um, so, uh, that, I'm laughing, but because I know that kind of sounds like really scary to other people, but I think it's pretty common. Um, At least my doctor didn't seem very concerned, but she didn't want me to go into labor. So we planned a C-section at 36 weeks Um, and he was born. It can go either way. She said he could be fine or he could need a NICU stay. Um, And when he was born, he cried, which was different than Canaan. Canaan, he didn't cry. He was born blue. He looked normal, but after he was born, he just kind of he, he kind of, I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, he just, it kind of completely turned around. It was, he, he got really, really sick, really, really fast. Were, was, that's obviously a much more major surgery for you too, right? Yes. Well, I think it's about the same, um, as the other, like when I had the inverted T-section, it's not like a cut all the way up. They just cut enough up to where to get more access to the baby. So I'm not exactly sure how big the incision is. It's not, it's on my uterus, not on like my, on my abdomen. Um, so, but 
for gray, they didn't have to touch that. They just did a normal C-section. Um, so, but yes, yeah, C-section recoveries are no joke. <laughs> They're no joke. You, you need that core for everything. And it's been pretty much sliced in half. So not only are you obviously a worried mom living in the NICU with even other kids at home, but I mean, that's the thing. And I do think that's one of those things that people don't necessarily prep you as much about, regardless of whether it's C-section or vaginal births, obviously they can go crazy in the moment. You never know what's going to happen, but I mean, the recovery for the woman, I mean, it is crazy. And you think about things like, oh, you have knee surgery, even a laparoscopic knee surgery. You're supposed to be off your feet for a certain amount of days. You go to physical therapy. You go to get your knee rehabbed after birth. Yeah. You're on maternity leave for six or seven or eight weeks and maybe 12 if you're lucky, but like there's no physical therapy and your body has gone through trauma. I know it's, it's crazy. And for a NICU mom, you have to be walking before you can go to the NICU. Ugh. So you've been given an epidural or a spinal um, and you have to let that wear off and then you have to be able to get up. And I, I don't want it to be like super graphic, but it feels like your insides are falling out when you stand yeah. up after birth. <laughs> and it's, it's awful and painful and even more so with a C-section because your core strength is gone. Um, so, within for both of mine that was my next biggest task was getting up and being able to get into a wheelchair and um for Kanan it was over it took overnight but for Gray I was like we're doing this within 4 hours I was up and go, getting walking to the wheelchair to go down to the NICU so there is like literally no break <laughs> it's like immediate you have to get up and and get to your baby to where your baby is so crazy okay so Jumping back to where we were, because I, I, I did want to touch on that because, I mean, l hopefully most parents don't have to have a NICU stay. And I'm glad that obviously you have, do you have three sons? I do. Mama boys. I know. <laughs> Your house is wild. <laughs> it is. It can get very wild. Oh man. I can only imagine I've got a son and two daughters. So unfortunately he definitely is the one that ends up being like, fine, I'll play Barbies. We don't have to go do this. That was um, my brother. <laughs> Yeah, that is a hundred percent my son and he's the oldest and he is so incredibly sweet to how he treats his sisters, I will say. Um, and he gives into them far more than he should, because I have to remind them that they are not the boss, but it is what it is. So, okay. Now you meet your husband and I mean, you guys end up getting married and make Louisville home. Mm -hmm. And how, what's the age gap? So you have 11, seven and one. Two? One. Oh, one. Okay. I have a one-year-old. Yep. He was a little, a little, uh, pandemic baby. He was, he was born during the pandemic. So he just turned one. Well, yeah. Well, he was born right before. So he was born at the end of November. Um, <gasps> he had a snick, the NICU say he got out mid December from the NICU. Um, and they already were saying, I, I would, I had him at Norton Women's and Children's and um, they said that their PICU was full. They said of RSV and flu, that it, there was something going around that was really bad, RSV, flu, respiratory issues. And um, when we left, they were like, they went, did a rundown with they, and they do this with most preemies, but of what you could and couldn't do. Um, and they were like, you cannot 
it's the holidays, but you cannot pass him around to family members. You need to stay at home. He cannot get RSV or the flu. Respiratory illnesses could be really bad for him with his lung issues. Um, and, you know, he had to be intubated. There were nights where I sat up all night just hoping and praying he would make it through the night. So we were already scared. Um, and with them telling us this, um, I like to say we started quarantine like three months early <laughs> because we had to keep him at home. We couldn't go places. Um, so he was born in, and came home in mid-December. And um, I filed FMLA. And by the time my um, FMLA ran out, the pandemic was just beginning. And um, we were advised then to... Um, to keep him at home even longer. Um, they just, they didn't know much about it. They didn't know much about it. So there wasn't really anything they could say to us. They were just like, we think you should be cautious and stay at home. So my daughter was born beginning of November, like second week of November of 2019. Yeah. So like right before your son and, um, my then four year old, um, first of all, when I was in the hospital still, when my son came in and everyone came in to meet the baby for the first time, while I'm sitting there holding my one day old baby, I noticed my son has a fever. Oh no. And I was freaking out and I was like, I love you, but you got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, well then within the next two to three weeks, I was I had a two week old baby. My four-year-old had RSV and croup. Oh no. And so we had to cancel Thanksgiving and basically me and the baby hid in the bedroom And we had to send my other daughter to her grandparents' house because the doctor was like, you have a two-week-old. You can't mess with RSV. And she has it and she's in the house. And I was like, okay. So, I mean, we canceled all of Thanksgiving. Even Christmas was low-key. No one had really seen Maggie. And then I went back to work end of January and then got sent home like the first week of March for the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. My third is not necessarily a pandemic baby, but she was born just before it started and was only three months old when I got sent back home. And so she's grown up with me being home every single day. And mm-hmm. we had to go into more or less quarantine because of the RSV. I mean, I was lifestyling everything and doing everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're already kind of prepared for this stuff. Now I didn't obviously know it was going to go that long, but I mean, it's, it's been wild being at home and working from home with a tiny baby and two other kids and <laughs> virtual learning and la 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 la. It is. It's crazy. And he, he really didn't know anything different. He, um, he doesn't know anything different than, no, she doesn't either. No. I mean, masks are normal for him. When he was cleared to go to the doc, to go to school, we went ahead, even though I'm still at home, we put him in preschool because I, I believe in early childhood education wholeheartedly. And the earlier they go, the better. And he didn't know anything but us and my mother-in-law keeping him and my mom and my boys being home all the time. And I was like, this boy, he's going to struggle next year. Like if we do preschool the following year when he's two, that's going to be a huge shock for him. Let's go ahead and get him in going one or two days a week just so he can know that other people outside of our family exist. Because he right now he doesn't know. So we enrolled him in October and it's been awesome for him. He loves it. That's fantastic. Um, so how has it been for you in general dealing with, well, the, the madness of multiple kids and pandemic and how are you guys holding up? It was, it was 
it was okay in the beginning. Um, at the start of this year, it's been difficult. I think my kids were just kind of quarantine weary, um, not wanting to do the virtual learning, um, just really, really struggling with it, um, just emotionally and mentally, um, just wanting their friends back and normal back. And even though we go to an awesome school, their, their school's amazing. I don't know how they do it. I, I, on the first day of back to in-person school, I sent the teachers Starbucks cards. I mean, just like whatever you want, whatever you want, I'll, I'll get for you because I know this has been extremely difficult for them too. So, um, but you know, it, it was okay. And I was fortunate enough that I'm, I was at home. Um, and I know that's not the case for all parents. So, um, but I had resigned from a, a job that I loved, um, to be home with gray, um, when this all started. So, um, it kind of, it, it worked out to where it was perfect timing because right after I resigned within three weeks, the boys were home from school. So, um, the big boys. So, um, it was hard but manageable. And you just, you just do, you just adjust and the kids have adjusted. Well, it's been hard, but they've adjusted. I agree with you. We stayed home for a long time. And I know on the, we didn't go back until January, end of January, which I still know was faster than Louisville schools. And I, um, I remember when we did go back, I cried and cried on the first day back. Cause I was happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, this is where they need to be. And they have flourished so much since and I, I'm just so beyond thrilled that that's what they're doing. So, um, now when did rainbow bins start becoming a thing then? So it, it kind of started with me resigning from my, um, I worked at a local preschool here, um, when I moved back for four, almost five years. Um, and it, I was the assistant director of the preschool teacher first, a pre-K teacher, then the assistant director. And I loved that job and giving it up was such a difficult decision. I remember just sobbing when I called the director to tell her that I couldn't come back. And, um, I just, I knew from what we talked about earlier, I knew that I needed to work. I had to do something because being at home all of the time is just not great for my mental health. I just, I, I have, I need to be working. Um, and so I know it's a, a privilege to be able to stay home. Um, and I, I completely know that and see that, but it was, I I still wanted to be able to, to work and do something. Um, so the kids, they got, you know, school shut down and we were, we were home. And, um, when my seven-year-old started, um, first grade, um, he was really struggling with all the writing that was happening in first grade. And he's always kind of struggled with, um, with his fine motor strength. And I just, I knew that I did a lot of sensory bends for my classroom when I was a teacher and I loved doing them and their Play-Doh and sensory play is huge in building the strength that we need in our hands for buttoning and zipping and writing and drawing and all the things we do with our fingers. Um, and so I started making him sensory bends and um, using tweezers and scoops and Play-Doh, um, all of that helps to build that strength in your hands. And I shared it with a few friends. And, um, you know, when you make those sensory bins, you buy things in bulk. So I had some extra stuff and I was like, Hey, you know, look what I did for Canaan. Are you guys interested? And they were like, yes. Um, so I started making them for just a few friends. And then when that kind of took off, I made a few extra 
the next um, theme I made, which was Galaxy, which I still sell. And I posted it just on my personal Facebook page. And I was like, hey, I've been making these for Canaan. These are all the wonderful things that they, they can help your child with. Is anyone else interested in buying these three or four extra kits that I have? And within an hour, I had sold all the four the extra that I had. And so then I just kind of, I, I talked to my husband. I was like, you know what? This could be, this could be a thing, you know? I, it's expensive to do them by yourself. When you make a sensory bin by yourself, you're buying all these things in bulk. Why not? Why don't I just make them? And um, they're still paying a lot less than buying and doing all these things themselves. And so that's just that's just kind of how it started. Now, how many do you think you're putting out there right now? How many am I selling? Yeah, just like ballpark. Like, how many are you trying to put together a week? So I my goal is to sell two or three a day. Oh, wow. And, and I hit that goal pretty frequently. Not every day, um, but most days I hit that goal. That's awesome. I honestly, I'm not sure what I was expecting you to say, but like in general, that's amazing, I feel. And my goal is to make what I was, this. my goal for now is to make up the income that I lost at the preschool. Um, and uh, that's kind of where we want to be right now. Now that's not my forever goal, but for right now, that's my goal. Cause I've only been doing this. I started selling them just on Facebook and Instagram in August, September. And then I started Etsy at the end of October. So I have not really been in business that long, but it, it's been, it surprised us. It really has. That's amazing. I'm so proud of you. I I have so many friends that I've talked to in the last year because I started this podcast 13 months ago, about now, almost 14 months ago. And the amount of people that, again, you talk about silver linings, the pandemic gave them that reason to start their own business or finally take that next step forward. Now, in some cases, they needed to figure out a way to stand on their own two feet because they may have lost their job. But so many women, I feel like had all of a sudden, they were like, I can do this now. I'm going to do this now. And I am so impressed and good for you. Well, thank you so much. It's it. I knew that I, I had to do something from home. Um, they, just the nature of how things were. My kids weren't in school. My baby was still at home. But I mean, it's 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 great. And Instagram has been huge for, for me. And I'm, I'm just hoping to continue to grow from that. Um, but it definitely was the pandemic was the push. Um, and I know it hasn't been easy for a lot of people. Um, but it really has been it eye opening for me and what I'm capable of. Um, because I've, I had a lot of, of imposter syndrome, just like, oh, not me. I'm just a mom. I'm just, you know, a preschool teacher, like this owning a business is something that's just so out of reach for me. Um, but I just, I hope other moms can, can be empowered and do the same thing. Um, because I've had so many moms support me, um, and reach out to me. Other small shops reach out to me. Um, influencers reach out to me and it's just been such for the most part, there's been moments, but for the most part, it has been just a ton of women supporting women, which is amazing. And that's part of the whole reason why I even started this podcast was to do that exact thing. And you just brought up something that I don't know if I've actually fully talked about this imposter syndrome. 
And how did you just push yourself through it? Was there something specifically that you were like, no, it's okay. Or was it more or less kind of just the repeated, okay, I set this goal and people are still buying these people are still reaching out to me. Okay. Business is growing. Did it just take time for you to overcome that? Yes. A lot of time, a lot of prayer. Um, I just, you asking me Instagram by itself is totally out of my comfort zone. I am quiet and introverted and just that it's just putting myself out there on a daily basis is very difficult for me. And so when you asked me to do this, I remember showing you the Instagram message you sent me to my husband and I was like, oh my gosh, my heart just started pounding. And he was like, you've got to do it. And I remember recently I did a um, devotional that talked about being bold. It was about being an entrepreneur as a Christian. Just you've got to be bold. You've got to put yourself out there or things are not going to happen. You have to put yourself outside of your comfort zone if you believe in this thing and you want it to, to grow. Um, but yesterday I was taking a walk around with my baby and I was just kind of praying about it. And I just, I felt, you know, Megan, you're already doing it. It's already happening. Um, you know, I was, I was second guessing myself and coming on here and talking to you. I was like, you know, who am I? Like, <laughs> I'm just a mom and, <laughs> and, you know, a teacher, I, you know, I'm not a businesswoman, but you know, I, you're already doing it. And you I know, think those thoughts in your head, they just kind of, they get to you. It's your own insecurities, but you know, you're already doing it. You're already, it's already happening. Um, and one, you are very well-spoken and oh, you, you. <laughs> you were from the moment you cracked your microphone, which is why I knew you'd be fine Two, uh, the two friends of mine that I saw posting about you specifically, I know off the top of my head, both of which are teachers and mothers and were raving about their sensory bends. And I want to say actually both of the, one of them at least has been my podcast guest before, but when they posted it, I was like, I'm immediately interested. I'm looking for moms who are putting themselves out there, moms who are starting their own businesses or finding what a clever way, your own little niche of thing, the, the things that I didn't even know what that was or existed. And that's how I have kind of started this. I call it a web because it's like, I'll talk to one person and then we'll become friends and we'll start following each other via the podcast. And then I'll see them post about this other person. And I'm like, wait, who's that? And so I just start reaching out to him. But I mean, and I know you're going to be like, you're ridiculous. I've been doing this now. It'll be 15 years in June. And I have imposter syndrome all the time. There are so many times where I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm not like, I I'm not like that. I'm not this, I'm not that. And then there's other days and this is just your own little like devil on your shoulder, of course, playing that side. But then there's other days that I'm like, no, I am good at my job. I know I'm good at my job or I know I'm making a difference, but I don't always have that. And then I'm like, you shouldn't act like that. You shouldn't say those things. You need to be more humble. Like it is a constant little battle in my head because I have that imposter syndrome all the time. And then it makes me second guess myself, which is the worst part. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just this vicious cycle. And then I am just so sensitive and, um, I haven't had a lot of negative comments at all. All of my, I've got to say that I, so, and I know they're going to come. That's just part of it. That's part of putting yourself out there and being open to people following you and seeing your life. It's just, that's just part of it. Um, but I, I do have a great 
following. But when those things come, and some of them are constructive, and I've got to say too, my husband has a business degree, and he is very good with numbers. He does. I am not. I am not. I'm not either. Not. That's what my husband does too. He has. He's an accounting degree. I'm not numbers he, either. He doesn't have an accounting degree, but he did do a lot of accounting, um, and he's excellent with numbers. So he does all of my numbers, all of keeping up with all of that stuff. I don't have to do any of that. He does that. So he's a huge part of Rainbow Bins. But he always says, he was like, Megan, you just, he's very just to the point. He's like, you know, you just got to take it and see if it's constructive. If it's not constructive, then you just file, you file the constructive away and then you throw away the other. And I was like, it's not that easy to do. They're he's so healthy. <laughs> I, know. I was like, I can't do that. That This is my baby. This is my creative work that I'm putting out there for everybody to see. I had one person and it was kind of funny. They messaged me and this is a sensory bin. You know, you have a filler. It's rice or, you know, some other kind of filler, plus all these little pieces that go with it and and pom-poms and packing paper and all this fun stuff. And she messaged me outraged, outraged that her four-year-old had made a mess with this, that the, that the rice was everywhere and it was just, and she had gotten the, the horse farm sensory bin, so it had hay in it. That, that it was just too messy. And how could I not disclose how messy it was? And stuff like that, you just, it hurt my feelings. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, you know? And I was just like, no, no. Some people should know if they give their four-year-old rice to play in, that they're going to make a mess. So I'm trying to learn now just to kind of cut that stuff out and just take it with a grain of salt and take what's constructive and build on it. I've <laughs> built my, my new packaging because of it. Somebody saying that they didn't like my packaging. Now I have awesome packaging. So, um, you know, I, it, it, some people have more of a people pleasing mentality and I am one of those people and it. You sound like one of those people. And I take to heart and I mean, I am a person addicted to my email in the sense that my job, especially in the last year and changes and stuff like that, I'm answering emails all the time, all days of the week, at night, whatever. You're obviously probably fielding some people messaging you on Instagram at all hours of the day and stuff like that. But if I get one of those like negative things or something went wrong and I immediately feel like that little like heat flash come across my body and it will totally change my mood. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have to fix this. I want to fix this right now. How can I make it better? And then for some people, there's literally just no making it better. Like it's, it's technically their fault and you're just kind of in the way too. Um, but it is hard. And I, I totally understand that. And my husband do too, even though he does it with like his work stuff, he'll dwell on his work stuff really hard, but other stuff he's like, why are you even worried about that? That's not your job or this or that. And I'm like, I can't just turn that off. Mm -hmm. It's hard. Exactly how I am. I, and it's, and it is an all day, all night, every day thing. Um, but you just, I'm also just a perfectionist and I want it to be perfect. And if someone isn't happy, then I immediately, just like you, I just want to fix it immediately. I just want it to be yep. changed. And when someone complained to me about my packaging, I almost immediately, I changed it, but that was constructive and good. And just trying to do that from now on, I'm, that's what I'm focusing on, but it's still hard. I'm going to still take it to heart. Me too. Me too. I could never be famous because I don't think I could honestly handle the kind of hate that like a real celebrity would handle because I just can't do that. No, no, <laughs> no. It, it's just too much, honestly, for me. And Megan, you were so great. Believe in yourself. You know what you're doing over there. You speak 
so confidently. You are a good mom. You've put together a business. You love your husband. Look at the life you've built. I mean, don't, as I tell you not to have imposter syndrome, we should tell all these women, like, it's okay. Don't have imposter syndrome, but truly I'm so glad we finally got to connect and just a little background before we got to do this. Of course, I bit off more than I can chew. And I was like, of course I can run across town 35 minutes away and come back and do all of that in an hour and 20 minutes. That was not a realistic thing. And I'm working on that. So I, again, will apologize to you for being late because I do not like to leave people waiting like that. My poor intern, I was like, go tell her where I am. I'm so sorry. Um, So again, thank you so much for joining. And if you ever are, if you know anybody that is a mom, somebody that you respect a woman and you're like, oh my gosh, she should be on this podcast. Go talk to Sarah. Always send them my way. I'm always looking to find those other amazing women that you may be inspired by, or they're your friends or something like that. I mean, you are truly awesome. If people want to check out your sensory bins, what is your handle and the best way to find you? It's at, on Instagram at rainbow sensory bins. And they're so stinking cute. I, I love them. They're so, they're so great. They, I mean, um, there's so many benefits to them, cognitive development, um, motor skill development, language development. I mean, um, it can be calming and grounding, um, a calming activity builds those fine motor skills. I mean, there's just, you can go and search for benefits of sensory play. And I mean, it just, there's a huge list. So they're wonderful. They are so stinking cute. Like that's what I'm looking at right now. They're whimsical. I will say some of them are so whimsy (laughs) and I want them to be bright and for a child to look at them and be just, you know, totally enamored, just what draws them right in. That's kind of my thinking. And I just, I love making them. It's, it's so fun for me. And I thought my job before this was my dream job. This is my dream job. I love it. Being creative and doing these kinds of things is just, just right up my alley. Uh, I want to play with one of these. Like I almost need a tiny adult version. So if I'm ever stressed (laughs) out at work, I have like a, you know how people have those little Zen gardens on their desk that have like the sand and the little like rake thing. I want a rainbow sensory bin that I could just play with on my desk. (laughs) If I'm thinking, I find myself, I just, my hands in the rice. I just, and I'll stop and I'd be like, I'm, I'm playing with it (laughs) and I don't even notice it. Um, but my seven-year-old still enjoys playing with them. Every single theme that I come out with, he's like, can, mommy, can I please have one? Can I, can you make me one please? Um, so he's my perfect little model and he, he still enjoys playing with them. I day. feel like my seven-year-old and my six, almost six-year-old would both love these. I think I'm going to hold off a little bit on my almost 18 month old. Cause she would eat it. Oh yeah. hundred uh, percent would eat it. <laughs> And I talk about that on Instagram. I call it, I, I call it Tavy Tuesdays. I haven't been super consistent with it, but my seven, my almost 17 month old, he, um, he's still a little young, but I've started with him and I give ideas on what you can do with your Tavy. You're not toddler. You're not baby. Just like your Tavy. Um, so go look at that because I, he loves the sensory play. You have to stay right with them, but um, yes, I bet she would love it too. She probably would. As long as it's not like, I could totally see how you could transition that so that there are pieces that she could totally do. And right. obviously watch because my third is the wild one who would eat any of it. Um, cause that's just the way that she is and that's okay. But, um, rainbow sensory bins on Instagram, Megan, you are just wonderful. Thank you so much for a dealing with me being late. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. <laughs>